about a fisherman today. Uh, there he is. His name was Simon, but he's also known as Peter. Jesus is the first one who called him Peter. And uh, Peter's story is quite a long story. And uh, this is playing up again. Please don't play up on me again. Oh, hooray! Uh, because although it's Peter's story, it's really more to do with Peter and the leader that he followed. Because we wouldn't know anything about Peter if he hadn't followed the particular leader. So this is Peter's story, following the leader. And it's only part one of his story, because actually Peter did so many things. It's the part of his story when he joins the God Squad. And this is how it happened. Isaiah, long, long time before Peter, had said that uh, there was going to be um, a special Messiah, a special, um, a special saviour for Israel who was going to save them from all their enemies and save them from all their sins. And Isaiah had promised that before it happened, uh, God said, I will send my messenger before me and uh, he would be like a voice in a wilderness. And at the time that Peter was alive, what should happen? But this guy turned up on the scene, and his name was John, John the Baptist. There he is. John the Baptist was a really weird, because nobody had seen him for years, and he was dressed in clothes of camel hair. Can you imagine that? And he had a leather belt, though that doesn't look very leather there. And his food was, um, I don't know what you'd make of it, but it was sort of honey and wild locusts. I don't know, what are wild locusts? Are they exactly that? Wild locusts? Or can somebody tell me differently? But anyway, that's what he ate. Uh, When he came preaching, he came preaching that this great Messiah was about to come and everybody had to get themselves ready for it and people were so excited that they came to him from all Galilee and all Jerusalem and they came to him and they said to him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Are you the great prophet that we've been expecting? And John said, no way. After me comes somebody who's much greater than I. He's the one. This guy is so great that I don't even deserve to bend down and take his shoes off him. He is awesome. Well, people came to him and said, well, if the Messiah's coming, what should we do about it? And he said, well, get rid of your sins. Change your minds and your attitudes to what is right and wrong. Get right with God. And uh, how should we do that? Well, be baptized. And so he baptized people in the River Jordan. And people went down into the River Jordan confessing their sins. Now, I don't know when Peter first heard about Jesus, but I do know that, uh, there we are, this guy with the white hair there, is Simon, a fisherman, and Simon was Peter's brother, and, uh, and Simon, uh, no, sorry, Andrew was Peter's brother, was Simon's brother, and Andrew was one of John's disciples, so John will have heard all about what John was saying about this Messiah, and no doubt Peter did sometime as well. One day, While John was doing his stuff and preaching about the Messiah, who should come along but somebody he hadn't seen for a long time? It was his cousin. It was Jesus. And he knew Jesus because being in the family, he knew all about Jesus. And Jesus was some awesome guy. Nobody could could ever remember him doing anything sort of particularly wrong or anything. And uh, Jesus came along and said to John, "Um, will you please baptize me? And John said, um... Uh, I reckon that I ought to be baptised by you, really. And Jesus said, no, 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 I want to do what is absolutely right. Please baptise me. And so he went down into the water. 
And in the water, something amazing happened. It was though the heavens had been ripped open and the Holy Spirit came down out of heaven in the form of a dove and it rested over Jesus. And when it, the, the dove went away, Jesus came up out of the water and disappeared for nearly six weeks. Nobody saw him again for all that time. We now know that he was in the desert being tempted by the devil, but he just disappeared. But after he'd gone, John remembered because God had said something to him. The one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting, he's the one. He's the one you've come to announce. And John thought, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. So, six weeks or so later, when Jesus came back, John pointed to Jesus and said, hey, look, he's the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away sins. He's the one I told you about. Well, two of John's disciples heard him say that. Andrew was one of them. And uh, they began to follow Jesus. And he turned around and said, what, what do you want? And they said, uh, uh, well, um, where do you live? Well, come and find out, said Jesus. And so they went off with him. Now, later that evening, when the crowds had gone home, if you had been peeping, you'd have seen Andrew running home. Because the first thing he did was went to tell his brother, Simon, we found the Messiah, come and see him. And off they went back. <laughs> and Andrew introduced his brother Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Kephas, which in other words is Peter or Rock. And Peter, as he was now known, or Simon Peter went, whoa, how could you know that? Now the fishing game. Peter and Andrew were fishermen. They earned their trade on the Sea of Galilee. And one day, when they were letting down their nets in the sea, who should come along but Jesus? And he stopped. And he looked out at them, watched them for a moment, and then said, Hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter... And Andrew leapt out of the boat and followed him. Now, they were just about to begin a roller coaster, except they'd never heard of roller coasters, except on the Sea of Galilee. A roller coaster ride. Because they went round with Jesus and they went all over the place. And can you see Capernaum at the top there? Well, at one time in Capernaum, Jesus went into the synagogue, which was their kind of church, on the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, not a Sunday. And uh, he was preaching and reading the scriptures when all of a sudden a man came in who had, I'm sorry about this, an evil spirit. And the evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us? Are you trying to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said to the evil spirit, Be quiet. Get out of that man. And the spirit left him. And the crowd in the synagogue, who always already thought Jesus was amazing, because he didn't just do what the other teachers did and talk about God, he talked as though he knew God. And when they saw what he'd done here, they said, Wow, wow, even the spirits obey him. 
This man is awesome. Another time, Jesus and his disciples, so Peter was with them, were walking through a village. Suddenly, the crowd began to scream, and people began to disperse, and and children ran away, and some people began to pick up stones, because rushing into the midst of them was a leper who wasn't supposed to be anywhere near them. He wasn't supposed to be there, and they had a bylaw which says if he comes nearer than six feet, you can throw stones at him. But he rushed right up to Jesus and fell down at his feet and said, if you will, you can make me clean. And to everybody's astonishment, Jesus was filled with so much pity, he bent down and he touched the guy. And he says, I will make you clean. And before their very eyes, he was healed. Whoa. Don't tell anybody about this, said Jesus to the guy, because uh, just go and see the priest and get it all sorted out that you're, you're better now. But the fellow, what would you have done? He went off telling everybody, shouting and screaming, I was, I was a leper, look, 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 look what he's done. And Jesus couldn't go into town anymore. He had to stay out. And it was ages before he got back into town. And when he did, he went to Capernaum and tried to sneak into one of the houses with his disciples, with Peter and co. But somebody saw him. So many people came along. They crowded into the house and filled the place. So there was no more room for anybody. But there were four guys on their way, and they were slower than the rest of the crowd because they were, they were carrying their paralyzed friend. And they couldn't get in the house, so they went up onto the flat roof, and they, they, they began to tear it apart, made of plaster and hessian and, and branches, and they tore a hole in it, and they let their friend down through the roof. When Jesus looked up and saw their faith, He said to this man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, you can imagine there were some guys there who said, How dare he forgive sins? Only God can do that. And Jesus looked around with him and he was quite knocked. And he said, Oh, so you know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? They were quiet and watched him. And then he said, Son... Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And to their astonishment, this man got up and began to dance. Now I want you to know that whenever you hear of Jesus healing people, you must remember this Jesus has power to forgive sins. And you're going to hear about Jesus healing people quite soon. Soon after that, Jesus got all his disciples around him, and there were lots of them, uh, but he chose out 12 to be apostles. There was, of course, there was uh, Andrew and Simon Peter and their business partners, James and John, they were fishermen as well. And uh, these two guys, Bartholomew and Philip, and nobody would have put, nobody would have guessed in a million years that these two years guys would be in the same pack because Matthew used to work for the Romans and Simon the Zealot used to fight the Romans. But here they were in the same crowd, Uh, with people of all kinds of temperament, because you remember I mentioned James and John? Poor, they were a fiery couple. Jesus called them sons of thunder. And then there was Thomas and Thaddeus and James bar Alpha, and of course Simon, uh, Judas Iscariot, who eventually betrayed Jesus. Jesus gave them a new name. They were to be apostles, which means messengers. And their job was to be with him. And Peter was one of them. In fact, he became their leader. 
So, this is the end of part one of Peter's life. How Peter became part of the God squad. Now then, there's some stuff there for children to colour and paint. Or not paint. Grown-ups, you can go and colour if you like, but you can't paint. And in a minute, I'm going to do a mini-preach to you grown-ups. But before I do that, so you're going to just have a little change of voice. Out of what we've just heard from the scriptures. Number one, the way that Jesus called those apostles actually changed understandings of leadership and discipleship. It changed things. Because um, if you've had results this week or last week or whenever it was, I hope you've had really good results. However, the people that were normally called to be disciples or learners from the great teachers of theology in Jesus' day had to be the A-stars. A-star, A-star, A-star. You had to be creme de la creme to be taken on by one of the theologians to work in their schools and to learn from them. Now, Peter had uh, taken up his father's profession. He certainly wasn't one of the creme de la creme, and nor was Andrew, and nor nor were the others. They weren't creme de la creme. So Jesus changed the understanding of discipleship and leadership. Jesus chose ordinary guys like you and me. And they didn't have to go to university in order to be great or to be good followers of Jesus. They didn't need extraordinary powers of understanding theology. Their job was to be with Jesus. That was it. To be with him. To see what he did. To hear what he said. To understand the way he thought. And when they were with him, he did kind of things which we haven't got time to talk about, which just blew their minds because he broke all the rules of his day. One of his heroes was a Samaritan for a start. And in the same parable that he told about the parable, the, the, um, the bad guys were the priest and the Levite. <laughs> Jesus made people look at things in a different way. The leper that he touched... Theoretically, it made him unclean touching that man. The woman with the flow of blood who touched him made him unclean, but he blessed her, your faith has made you well. The dead girl that he took hold of the hand of and lifted it up, he shouldn't have done that, it made him ritually unclean. Jesus did and said things which turned their understanding of God and theology on its head. And what they learnt there in the hallowed rooms of the theology college. Forget it. They had to be with Jesus and see what he did. Now then, we have a perception in churches, maybe you don't, we have a perception that only the minister can do certain things. Only the minister can take communion. It doesn't happen here. Only the minister can do this. Only the minister is good enough to visit a bedside in a hospital. Only the ministers can do certain things because they have theological training. Stuff it! You are disciples of Jesus and you are called to be with him and you can do that through the scriptures and by your prayers and by sharing with one another. You are the ones that Jesus can use. Now that's the first point. The second point, just in case you think that I've got a downer on education and theology degrees, I haven't. And I'm saying this for you. (laughs) 
But I mean it. Because, of course, Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot committed suicide, and the disciples did choose by lot another one to take his place. Somebody who'd been with them since they first, Jesus first went public. But in actual fact, the one that we know about, the great apostle that we know about, was Paul. And Paul was an academic. He was a brilliant man in his day, and he was creme de la creme, and he had learnt at the feet of one of the greatest teachers of theology in Israel of the day, a guy called Gamaliel. So he did have the theology, the stature, the knowledge, the understanding, the background. But when he met with Jesus, he submitted all that he'd learned in the theology school to what he now understood of Jesus. He didn't discard it. He didn't despise it. He used it. But he submitted it all to Jesus. So that he said in actual fact that all he wanted to do was to be like Jesus. And that he decided he'd know nothing amongst, for instance, the Corinthians, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. The standard by which he judged everything that he'd learned was Jesus, and he allowed Jesus to judge it, change it. So we're not against theology, but we are for Jesus. Now, this is the final thing. In Acts chapter 6, 7, Acts chapter 7 is that part of the Bible where Stephen, you remember, is taken before the Sanhedrin and is accused of blasphemy and then taken out and stoned. After that, after his stoning, we learn that a great persecution uh, began against the church and the believers were scattered everywhere. Only the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So God bless the apostles for their bravery, their courage, standing up for the Lord in the place where it really hurt. The others, many believers, were scattered. Now you jump over to chapter 11, and it comes back to those scattered believers. And it says, those who were scattered by the great persecution when Stephen died, went everywhere preaching amongst... preaching. Uh, in a number of places, including Antioch, uh, preaching only to the Jews, but some of them preached to the Gentiles. And it says, the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. Not with the apostles, notice. They were in Jerusalem. The hand of the Lord was with them. But the hand of the Lord was with those who are scattered. You are the dispersion every week. You come in here and then you're dispersed. The hand of the Lord is with you. Did you know that? And you don't need the vicar there, or the elders there, or the high priest there, or whatever. You are the dispersed. And the Lord is with you. Now remember that. Because Peter was made an apostle, which means messenger, in order that other people should become disciples. And you are disciples. And the disciples were to be taught to observe everything that Peter and the apostles had learned from Christ. And that's you. You are the disciples. And you are the scattered. And you don't need a theology degree. You just need to know Jesus. And trust him. 
and follow him. And whoa, watch the world being turned upside down. Now I want to invite Lydia forward, please, because Lydia has been to South Africa. And Lydia, if you like, is what we've learned about Peter, what she has to tell us, in fact, is um, God's way of saying, this is for now, not just for them. Hello, Lydia. Hi, everyone. Um, Yes, I went to South Africa for three weeks by myself, and I went to an area called KwaZulu-Natal, and um, I spent the first week in a mission among the Zulu people, just, you can see, by Greytown, and then I spent the next two weeks with a friend from Jay, um, who took me around everywhere, and I saw some amazing things. We went to a healing conference up in the Drakensberg, and then we stayed in Peter Maritzburg for most of the time. Um, so I just wanted to encourage you with some of the things that I've seen there um, and, yeah, just share some stuff. Um, I was at the Zulu Mission for um, a week and it's... Oh, I forgot, sorry, we got some photos. <laughs> oh, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is where it was. There was um, 2,300 Zulu children and young people on the youth conference when I was there. And they had three meetings a day. And this is them in the big tent where they got their food. So, yeah, lots of, from, from 5 to 20-something. And that's the big hall they had where they had the meetings. You told me that something struck you about these young people. Well, in particular. These ones. These young people. You said you were amazed by them. Um, this, yeah, this is, this is the church in Peter Moritzburg. Um, they... All the young people were so on fire for God, unbelievably on fire for God, um, and so open um, about their life and about their testimonies. Um, there were so many testimonies about how they'd come to God, and they were so open in saying it. This is Vibe Camp that, was, that they went on, and everyone there was leaders and ministering to each other. I don't think there was anyone there over about 25. Uh, 25. It, everyone was sent, like, saying the message and um, helping one another. Um, and that was just, I think what was so encouraging was that how God moves in the people's lives and the testimonies that I heard, um, that God can, God calls people and God moves people um, from all different situations. Did you, um, you told me that uh, one girl had got, gone off and the way people received her when she came back, you say people were so forgiving. Yes. Um, well, yes, the first place I was at, the Zulu Mission, um, something that really struck me was how much they wanted to run away from sin, how much they wanted to make their relationship right with God, but in the same way how open they were about how they'd gone wrong and how they accepted people when they'd gone wrong, because in the, in the cities there's um, huge drug problems, huge crime problems, huge prostitution problems, but when they come back they accepted them fully. Which is, I think, sometimes, you know, Christians like to keep quite hush-hush about what's going on in their lives. But I think there they were just so open about it, but at the same time wanted to run away from all sin and want to make their relationship completely right with God, which was really amazing. Um, um, and um, something that also struck me was uh, that in the, in the first week on the Zulu mission, some of the theology I found quite difficult, quite hard to to take in, quite hard to, to stomach, 
But um, I really prayed to God for him to show me all the amazing things that happened there because it's the biggest um, revival in the Southern Hemisphere. God's been working hugely there, done huge miracles there. Um, and I just saw Jesus in the people amazingly with the work they did and the love they had for the people around them. And um, I've, I learned that God works through us not when we necessarily have a theology right, although theology is really good to have right, but when we've surrendered ourselves fully to him. And I saw that in the people, that they just surrendered their whole lives to him. And God was working in power through them. And... Um, then you went up into the mountains. Yes. Then, then I went up to a healing conference in the Drakensberg. And um, there was only about 10, 15 of us. It wasn't, it wasn't a very big conference. And the guy had been praying for it for about five years. And we went out in a little group, four of us, with the main guy who could speak Zulu into the streets. Um, it was a little place, um, but full of people selling things. And he was saying, does anyone want prayer? Does anyone want any healing? Um, Can I, was he just going around to people saying, do you want prayer? Do you want healing? Or yeah. was he shouting it out? He was, he was shouting it out. In a marketplace. At first, at first, yeah, we were, at first he was shouting it out and then going out to people, you know, looking out for people. Has someone got a bad leg? Has someone got a bad arm? You know, um, and um, we saw about 30, 40 healings that day. Could you repeat that? How many? <laughs> 30, 40 healings. Wow. Only, only two people that we prayed for weren't healed. So that's everybody healed, really, basically. Um, and so we stopped praying for some people, and then some people were healed, and then they were really happy, really amazingly happy, and then someone else came up to us and was like, oh, I've got something as well, can you pray for me? And then we end up having a huge group around us, and then the next person saying, oh, actually, uh, yeah, I've got something, could you pray for me? And then they start sending everyone out. So they're like, oh, Lydia, you go pray for that person. And I was like, oh, um, maybe it's not, I don't know, don't know if it's going to happen now, but we'll see. And um, I prayed for this woman. She had um, an open sore, which was really painful, and she had AIDS. And I prayed for her, and she was healed. She was suddenly really, really happy and saying she was healed and saying lots of things in Zulu, which I didn't understand, but... She was really happy, and then she said, come around the corner, come around the corner. Um, my sister's around the corner, could you pray for her? And so we went around there, and her sister had a problem with her knee or her foot, I'm not completely sure, but she, she couldn't walk properly, and she was selling things at the side of the road. And um, so some people prayed for her, and she was able to walk completely fine. Um, she was walking, and the people around her that were selling the things were just amazed. They were like, well, you can't walk, you know. We know you can't walk. We've known you for years. You can't walk, but you're walking right now. This is amazing. Um, And... What about the the deaf beggar lady? Yes. um, We then... um, We then took that with us for the rest of the time we were there. So I was with with some of the same people that um, were on the healing conference, and we were in Durban... And we saw a Muslim guy without a leg, so we stopped the car, got out to pray for him. Um, we prayed for him once, didn't want any more. But then a woman came up behind us with a sign saying that she was deaf. And so me and my friend Mandy prayed for her. We were praying a few times, and then one of her ears is opened, and she can hear. And we prayed some more, and then the next ear is opened, and she can hear. And it's crazy. And, um, and then she pulls out her leg, and she's got a prosthetic leg. So we pray for that. We pray for that a few times, but we don't see any healing right there. We don't know if she's healed now. 
but we didn't see anything immediately there. And then she pulls out her hand, and her hand's like, like, quite. You can see it's quite deformed. Um, like the the joints are quite big, and she can't open her hand. And so we pray for that for four or five times, and we're saying, you know, like, can you open it? Is it better? And then on the fourth or the fifth time, she just opens it up completely, and. She just starts weeping, just weeping, so happy, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, um, and we're just like, well, you know, Jesus loves you. This, this, is what he's, this is what he's done for you. He wants to restore you. And, yeah, we just leave her like that. And we, when we're going off, we can see her standing there just staring at her hand in disbelief, just staring at it and like, like <laughs> it's crazy. Um, Somebody, and, sorry. And what struck me was that simplicity of it and how easy it was to to pray for people and they were healed there wasn't any prescriptive way of it there wasn't special words to say there wasn't any way you can do it you just pray for them and they're healed and God heals them because he wants to and he loves them he wants to restore them and there was this one amazing healing um this guy that was with us on the healing conference and he was with a Zulu translator who hadn't translated before so um, she, they're praying for this woman who's been in bed for a few months because she's got TB of the bones and this it was a really simple prayer it was like and she repeated it backwards and it was like Jesus um, I want to give my life to you can you heal me something very simple and she gets up and starts running around the room mm. <laughs> wow. um, and her, her family comes in, hears this commotion, sees some white people in the house, you know, what's going on. And they see her and they're like, hi, Bo, like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and just to encourage you um, to, to go out there and pray for people because there's no way about it. There's no simple way of doing it. There's no, it's not difficult. It's so simple and God wants to do it. But it only happens in South Africa, doesn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, when I came back, I went straight to Polish guide camp, and there, lots of people are ill, everyone's hurt themselves, everyone's got cold, so I started praying for people, and I saw two people healed while I was there, so it's definitely not for South Africa, it's for here as well, and it's for anyone, God can use, God used me somehow, so <laughs> he can use all of you guys. This is the last thing, you said, um, somebody came up to you and said, hey, you've really got the gift, haven't you? Yeah, there was, um, we were visiting this church and this, this guy was saying to the, the guy, was, you know, like, you've got the gift, you know, like, you've got the gift to do this healing. And you're saying, no, no, it's not, it's not us, it's God. It's God that does the healing. Um, it's, not on any, it's not in any way our power, it's God that does it. So. Thank you yeah. very much. God bless you. Was, was there any last sort of... Um Thing that you wanted to say? Um, another thing I wanted to say was the the guy who led the healing conference. He said that he found it quite hard to lead people to God when talking to them, so lead people to Jesus. But when he could pray for them and say healing, that's when he could really bring people to God because you, then you can show people the power of God and then lead them to Jesus and show and tell them, like show them how much Jesus loves them, rather than it just being words. So. Mm. Lydia, thank you. You've got plenty of time to talk to her again if you want to later on. Thank you very much.